Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in Listenerland, welcome back. This is episode 75 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back again this week. We've got a great show. But before we get into that, I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-o? Hey, good to be back on the show. Number 75, we're three quarters of a century. I remember when we were half a century. It feels like just yesterday. So a little over half a year ago. Oh, yeah. We're 75 <laughs> episodes. We've been... That's a lot of episodes, man. It's a lot of a lot of episodes to produce. I'll tell you that. But yeah, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. I think we've added a lot of value to our listeners. I hear that on a regular basis. Different industry insiders. Heck, once in a while, I'll even get a consumer that that listens. But I think we're definitely geared more towards insiders. For we, sure. Uh, that's definitely our niche, and we shoot and strive to bring value in a very narrow Portland-focused manner. And I think we do a good job of it. So, or at least I've heard. I, I think we do a great job, or at least so I've heard. But, <laughs> but that aside, so this week's show, we got a few things we're going to talk about. I'll throw it over to you here in a second. We're going to kind of talk about happenings in our businesses a little bit and expanding on how that relates to the market overall, you know, touch on the actual market action report a little bit. And then we're going to parlay from there into a very, I think, important topic that we'll dive into pretty deeply. And that's my thoughts on why Portland will never have affordable housing and the true reason behind that. So we'll get into that later, but why don't you kick it off? What's been going on with you and and how does that parlay into what you think is going on with the market lately? Yeah. So it's been a little while since we dived into this. We've had some guests. We did the best of masters. So I've got a few things to chat about here. On the broker side of things, as an agent in the trenches with the rest of a lot of our listeners, I've got a condo near you. Remember me telling you about that? Have you seen any signs? They were pretty limiting on what I could put for signage, but it's literally like a block or block and a half from you. It's the uh, Core Bank Condominium Building. It's a big, secure building. I walk by it whenever I drop mail in the mailbox. Do you? Do you? I think we threw a couple directionals around there, and we are pending sale. It was a cool condo. It's got great views of Mount Hood and the river, probably much like your office does there. They're on Corbett Avenue. But anyway, so we've got that going on. I thought that was a little fun tidbit that I'd see if you knew anything about. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the market 
Tucker later, but I have to tell you, it's a confusing market. It really is. Three months ago, August, early September, I was all but convinced that things were really screeching to a halt and, and things were slowing down. And don't get me wrong, I do think we will look back and see that there was some kind of dividing line we crossed where, you know, things went from the sellers hold all the cards to a little bit more of a shift of power towards buyers. Remember how in 2006, you remember how years later we look back and we'd talk to people or we'd see people or maybe ourselves and we'd say, hey, you bought in summer of 2006. Oh boy, you bought at the peak of the market or you sold into the summer of 2006, you sold in the peak of the market. We didn't know that was the case early 2007. It was like, you know, years later in 2010, 2009, 2008, maybe that you realized that was when the most expensive transactions were happening. I think my point, and you and I have called it, I think you call it the inflection point. I think we've crossed that line. Doesn't mean things aren't selling. In fact, part of what I was going to say is, believe it or not, my team is having back-to-back record months. In October, we're slated, we're over 8 million in transactions. And November, we're actually even a little bit better, $9 million. So those are some big numbers. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I've got an amazing team that is just doing a phenomenal job, and things are running on all cylinders for us. And we've got quite a few big transactions. We've been fortunate to get, I think, in October, we had three deals over a million. One was almost $2 million. So we have a few things helping in that regards. But but that said, I'm, I'm not saying the market is screaming. You know, the sellers that we're working with, and when we get into the market action report, I'm going to zip through my listings that are pending and kind of give you the kind of a quick snippet on each. And it isn't just we take something live and it's immediately vaporized into a pending in escrow. So that's kind of a little bit what's going on on the brokerage side. And a couple other things that we're doing that are exciting. I've started beta testing for our company a new thing that we are doing with our 3D. This is something anybody who uses Matterport could do. We are testing it and we're trying to systemize it through our PPG online marketing platform so that any of our agents can use it quickly and easily. Anytime they do 3D, they're already creating a feature sheet is what we call it, where they put their description, bullet point, and all the other details of the property. They're already creating a feature sheet and sending it into our marketing staff what we're doing now is we're taking that Matterport and we're actually tagging the inside of the house. Matterport has a program. It's called MetaTag. I don't know if a lot of our listeners are aware of it. Most of our listeners know what Matterport is. But it's it's where as you walk around in the property, there's actually blue dots that you can hover over. And it tells you a little bit more about what you're looking at or what's in that room or features and amenities of the house. So it's a really cool way to add to what was already an amazing virtual tour, an amazing 3D walkthrough. It's a way to label things so that they jump out at the consumer, the buyers that are online. I'll give our listeners an example of one. Those of our listeners who are interested in how this works and how it looks, Look up at one of my listings at 7275 Southwest Delaware in Tualatin. Again, that's 7275 Southwest Delaware Circle in Tualatin. It's actually pending. But we did it on there. If you click on the virtual tour link, you'll get a a better idea of what we're experimenting with. I think it's a really cool add-on to the Matterport experience. And like I said, I've been beta testing on a few of my listings. And I think here within the next month or two, we'll we'll roll it out big time to the rest of our agents. And I think they're going to love it. Beyond that, I was going to chat a little bit about on the brokerage side. 
couple weeks ago, the executives here at PPG, we went to Skamania for an offsite, did a little a three-day getaway. Two of those days, we were in conference rooms just talking about our action plan and goals for 2018. And we... Uh, came up with some pretty cool things that we're looking to implement so that's been exciting and it was a nice little getaway we all got to play golf you ever played golf at skamania by the way tucker i have not is it a cool course the fairways are the size of snakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay it's the most narrow course you'll ever play the fairways are just ridiculously narrow and where the fairway ends it's just trees and so if, if you go off the fairway your ball's gone and it doesn't matter whether you go off 50 yards or five yards your ball is gone i think i mean i bought a box of 12 balls and it was gone i think by the first nine and here's the <laughs> frustrating part it's not that you're hitting wayward terrible shots right normally you're you're hitting a ball and it's you know you're a little off the middle and you're you're pretty happy with it here you go three feet off the fairway with a roll and it's gone it's a very very difficult course i think the reason for that is because i think it was just a, a forest i think it was just pure forest around there and when they developed and were building Skamania, they said, okay, let's mow down a bunch of trees and make a golf course. Well, they probably didn't want the less trees they had to mow down, probably the better. So they made it very, very narrow. Interestingly enough, too, I thought it was kind of cool. So we got to see the gorge since the fires. And it really wasn't as bad as I imagined it would be. Now, granted, I think they're starting to worry about landslides. That's the latest rumblings they're having. But we even did a little boat tour on the Columbia on one of those dinner cruises, which was kind of really pretty and interesting. And so we got really good views of the hills where the fires were. You know, I had been imagining that they would be, you know, kind of like when you're leaving sisters or going through sisters. You know how you see that apocalyptic? Oh, yeah. You know, dead trees, everything's black, kind of what we've been seeing out of California fires. I was afraid it was going to look like that, and it did not. You just see, you see some discoloration, almost like a brown, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look like a fire. It almost looks like fall colors, even though the trees are evergreens, and so they really shouldn't be anything but green, but it's not too bad. So I was pleasantly surprised there, and by the way, Skamania lodge for those familiar with skamania lodge it looks at some of those hills and mountains and you could see that right out of the lodge i guess when the fires were happening when you were at the lodge i mean everything behind there was on fire <laughs> so it was pretty intense I, i'm sure during that period of time I, we talked to some of the staff there but they bounced back in a big way the, the the place was busy and i think everything's great and they're excited. i guess more importantly did you guys devise a plan for world domination for 2018 for ppg <laughs> We're hoping to. We're hoping to. I don't know about world domination, but maybe uh, maybe the Northwest. That would be uh, it's good. a good start, I suppose. A good start, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're planning an employee offsite. That kind of piggybacks our executive team offsite. Part of the executive team was getting ready for our employee offsite, which is where we get all our our employees, not our agents, but our employees. I think we've got about 25, 30 now. So. And we're going to take them out to Forest Grove to the McMinimans there. I forget the name of it. I know which one you're talking about, but yeah. The, it's something Lodge. Something Lodge. Yeah, yeah, but I forget the name too. We were there recently for a, a different event, company event. It's a pretty cool one as well. In the past, we've historically gone to Edgefield, but this year we changed it up a little bit. Two last things going on here at PPG. We just opened our Salem branch. We're in the final stages of touching it up. So we'll be rolling out. It's right there. I don't know. Are you very familiar with Salem? Tucker, Fairly. Willamette University. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. 
great area. It's just south of downtown. There's also a Ram restaurant. It's one of my favorite restaurants in Salem, probably. It's just kind of a, got a fun environment and atmosphere. There's a, The Ram is like a block away from our office. It's a really nice building there in Salem. So we're looking to really grow that market. And I think I've mentioned in the past, that's one I'm familiar with, having grown up in that area. And then last thing I'll talk about is PPG TV. One thing that we were talking about at our offsite was, and that we're really excited about and proud of, is how we've started to, and this was something we talked about at our offsite a year ago. We were like, we need to come up with a way that when we have a sales meeting or education, training, special events, you know, we recently did one on the energy audit, right? An hour CE class where, you know, we train on, on that. We need to have a way as we're expanding in the region that we can that we can record it and then put it online so that anyone can watch it and benefit from it regardless of where they are regardless of when they're available and they can you know pause it fast forward skip things and we've really done a good job of that in the last year and so and we're only getting better at it by the way so it's been pretty exciting that's been a cool offering that we're really fine-tuning and i think is going to be a big part of our future with just sharing content very cool. Well, sounds like you're busy, busy, which no surprise, of course, especially with, you know, 18 gazillion dollars in pending real estate that you've got to close on top of running the help run the company there. So, yeah, it's all good, though. It's, it's, a, it's a fun busy. Well, we're pretty busy over here as well. We've got a lot of stuff going on. One really cool thing is that one of our listeners, a fine gentleman by the name of Andrew, who's an agent, reached out to us and we actually inked a deal with him this last week. And it's a three lot deal with an existing house on it. And uh, we met with him and the sellers and we walked through it and everybody got nice warm and fuzzies from the meeting and we decided to move forward with the deal. So that's Thanks exciting. Him. Good for yeah, you. So. Good for you. And I'll just give you a shout out. I mean, I've done, I've done this before on here, Tucker and this is a genuine compliment to you. You do so well with sellers. You have just such a way of coming in there and helping explain what they have, what it's going to take to develop it or bulldoze it or whatever the case is, what the costs are incurred, what final market price will be. And you just explain it so well and so articulately. And you build a high level of trust in that process that it really is a compliment to agents who bring you in on stuff like that. It makes them look good because they brought in this great resource who does such a great job. So I'm not surprised to hear that. Well, I appreciate that. This was kind of one of those deals where I had to walk through with both the agent and you know his clients some major costs in redevelopment. And we'll dive into that more in you know my conversation with you about why Portland, you just cannot build affordable housing later. But yeah, there's just a lot of things you know that, that go into development. And I realize that that's not the wheelhouse for a lot of agents. It, it's it's a lot to understand and it's a lot to process and then be able to kind of apply that to any given property that you're looking at. If that's not what you do every day, it's pretty difficult to, to see that. And so, you know, we've had a, a few other agents call that probably listen to the show and, you know, I appreciate everybody that calls, but we've had some that call and they've got like, let's say an acre of land and it's zoned, you know, R7. And so based on the zoning, they think that or R75, you can put, you know, seven houses for sure on it. And so they do math and they say, well, lots in the area are selling for 300,000 a piece. So we'll multiply the seven lots by 300,000. And that's the price that we're going to sell the big chunk of land for. And so that's a situation where we have to come in and say, okay, look, that's not really how it works. If somebody's going to go through the brain damage and the bonding and the public improvements and the city meetings and the holding time and all that to create seven lots out of that, 
there has to be some upside potential for going through all that and putting up the money. So it's it's an education process, like you mentioned. And, you know, most people are open to hearing about it. And, you know, hopefully it makes them a little better moving forward and just understanding the best use for their property if it's a seller. So anyway, thanks to Andrew for reaching out to us and anybody else that has a deal that we want that uh, wants us to look at it. We're, we're happy to do it. Now, on another front, we're kind of shifting a little bit of our bandwidth of our buying ability uh, moving into next year, because I don't know if you are a uh, take the extension guy on your taxes, but uh, I took the extension until October 15th and uh, did the filing and once again paid the uh, government an ass ton of money. And so I'm kind of at the point in my career where I'm over that a little bit. And, um, you know, the best way to kind of offset that is to increase our real estate holdings so that we have uh, much, we take in income in a different way and we have much larger tax deductions for the you know long-term ownership. And so we're changing the heading of our ship slightly and uh, we're starting to acquire um, some long-term hold stuff for the company that uh, is most- in Salem? No, no, we're focused in um, outside of Portland because yep. Portland is not very friendly on the, uh, the landlord and nor will it be moving forward. But I think there's just more value to be had in terms of, of cash flow for money spent. So we're looking Milwaukee, Gladstone, Oregon City over that kind of area. But we've got one complex that we bought last week and we started construction on a couple of days ago. And so point is, is I think we're going to add that to, you know, we'll kind of be a two sided animal, so to speak, moving forward. Great we're going to have, yeah, really we're have our, our redevelopment side. Country. And then, um, you know, we're also going to have our, our buy, renovate and hold side so that we can create some some good housing for uh, rental units uh, moving forward. So that's kind of where we're at. And uh, I'm excited to kind of change the heading of the ship slightly, because to be honest with you, stroking massive six figure checks to the uh, IRS and the state government for taxes, which essentially when you're in the higher tax brackets, you pay 50 percent. So you get a, a business partner who does nothing for you in terms of your business and they get half of your profit. And so, you know, after a certain number of years generally people get sick of that. Those people that don't pay it, you know, that's easy for them to say, oh, people make a lot of money, they should pay it. But once you actually are in those shoes, you realize that it pretty much sucks. So anyway, that's... <laughs> Will most of your holdings be distressed properties that you bought and rehabilitated and, and then put into the rental pool? Or are you just going to buy, you know, straight into it? No, we're going to look at value add opportunities because that's what we yeah. do, right? We buy the stuff. And so if anybody has any, you know, Multi-unit complexes, and we're not talking like 100-unit complexes. We're, we're going to go a little, you know, in that area of the market where the, the big boys don't play because it's not enough for them if they syndicate and they have a big fund. So, you know, we're looking anywhere, you know, two to 10 units kind of is kind of what we're looking at, I think, um, because that's just a little too small for anybody with a syndication most of the time because they've mm -hmm. got too many partners and too many hands in the cookie jar. So, mm -hmm. fortunately... I'm the judge, jury, and executioner for TTM, and I have no partners, so it allows us to do those kind of things. So, mm -hmm. cool. So anyway, that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. And then, you know, on the flip side, we've got a, a new plat that's recording finally <laughs> this week in uh, Lake Oswego, and uh, we've got a two-lot project there that we're going to uh, be kicking off and starting construction on hopefully very, very soon, and they should be great properties once they're done. So, yeah, we got a lot going on in addition to everything else, but those are kind of the highlights. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great strategy, by the way. Yeah. So to kind of parlay all this, we do have a, a listing that's out there that's pending. It's a great house. It's in Milwaukee. And we priced it originally based on kind of the summer highs, right? You mentioned like looking back at 
summer 2006, right? That was like the high point in pricing. And I think that summer 2017 is the high point in pricing that our market for this new time period is going to have seen. And so we priced, you know, a September listing for a June price if we were going to list it in June. And I do think the market's pushed back a little bit. It's hit its inflection point and we're pending. We're going to be closing here shortly. But we didn't hit the price expectations that we thought we would get based on earlier comps. And so I I definitely agree with you that we are on the downside of that rainbow. I don't think prices are going to compress much more, but I think that the market definitely stalled out for a short time just to kind of regroup, figure out where that line in the sand should be. And, you know, my feeling at this point is that we've kind of found that floor of where that that is. But it definitely has come off of the early summer highs, I think. But what do you think based on the market action and what you're seeing in your listings? I do. I agree. Yeah. We, I mean, we talked about this before. And what's interesting, when you look back at what we t- we're talking about in like, you know, August of 2006, remember August of 2006 was about a year, a full year before we really, you know, we really talk about, you know, things going bad. But yeah, I mean, rainbow is a great analogy. I mean, you kind of hit that, that peak and then things start to kind of cool off and price reductions I agree with you. I think, you know, we, we don't know for sure, but I think historically a year or two from now, we, we will look back at our transactions and our we'll talk with people. And those who sold in the early part of the summer of 17 probably got the most they were going to get. And, you know, you, you'll look in neighborhoods and those were the highest sales. And then from there, it started to dip. And where it dips from here, we don't know. So far, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem horrific. Things are still moving. There's still a lot of velocity to the market. There's still a lot of transactions happening, even though the market action report of this last month, which was September's, did say the volume is down. That was an interesting note. It was also interesting, you know, the word cooler was in here quite a bit. Portland saw cooler activity. Activity has been cooler. I mean, it was in here multiple times. So the market action report's definitely saying that. I'm seeing some national reports that are saying pending sales are down and so I've seen a little bit more chatter about, you know, the market having taken a different turn. But as I was saying, closed sales was down 5.8% from the year before. Pending sales was down 4.4. So that is the number of transactions. They are down slightly, but that's still not a bad number. There's still quite a few of them out there moving and happening. Two other things I wanted to touch on. Days on market was up three days. Yep. And inventory was up to 2.3 months. So those were some pretty big changes. Which is the highest number. Not that's a high number because it's not. But we haven't seen a number that high since February of 2015. That's right. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's still an absurdly low number just for our listeners to conceptualize. But we haven't seen inventory um, that high since uh, February 2015. And we did a show here in August, and we were talking about how July was the highest since February of 2015. Well, now we've beat July as well, so it's even higher than that. I wanted to kind of dive into this because, again, as I said before on the show, I mean, we're doing good here on my team, and, and I'm hearing this from others. We're moving properties, and we're moving a lot. I mean, I'm looking here. I'm in listing load of RMLS. I'm on the pending tab. I've got 13 pending properties listings right but and and on the at a glance that sounds good hey steve's got 13 listings in escrow wow the market must be doing great but i look through these one by one and i'm going to tell you that most of these either took some time or took some price reductions or took some work 
there's some exceptions. I mean, I'll kind of zip through these. Garswood Terrace. This was this was a little condo. It's 259 in Beaverton, right? A year ago, this thing wouldn't have lasted two days on the market without having multiple offers. We we ended up being about five days on the market getting one offer. Delaware Circle. Now this one did well. It's a it's a small 389 price point property in Tualatin. And I think first weekend on the market, we got at least one offer. We may have got two as even. I think we did get two. But that's look at the price point. 389 in Tualatin. Yep. That's a detached house, by the way, in Tualatin. So the low price points are still doing well, but I will tell you there are some exceptions. Chase Lane was another house. This is Southwest Portland. This one lingered. We had this one on the market. This is going to sound crazy that this is lingering, but we were 40 days on the market. It's 409,000 single family home in, in Southwest Portland. Decent little house. What's the square footage? It is, uh, gosh, it's about 1700. I don't have it on this screen. Did it have a, did it have a master suite? Do you remember? Or was it? Or yes. Not? Yes. It did. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So even with yep. a master suite, so that's yeah. 40 days with a master suite, you know, 1700 square feet. That's still a pretty good price. Square feet. I just, I just, Yeah. Yep. But we also dropped the price on that one, Tucker. We started on the market at 425 and we ended up at 409 and went pending at 409. Corbett Avenue, this is the one next to you. We hit the market at 309. There were comps in there that sold for 309. We stayed on the market much longer, active much longer than I thought we would have. What was the square footage on that one, just out of curiosity? Was that a small? I think that one was about 1,100 square feet. Let me double check. 1,093. Yep. So probably uh, fairly high HOAs, though, I would assume. Yeah, I think so too. I Which think so too. Um, three hundred nine is cheap. That's why I asked. So yeah, it's got HOAs of three forty five a month. Yep, yeah. yep. Again, it's on the fourth floor of that building, just down from you. Beautiful views of the river, Mount Hood. It's a little dated. It needs some work inside, but at three hundred nine thousand, that close in, I expected multiple offers first weekend on the market. It actually sat for about three weeks or so. And then we we got an offer. It's a little off of our asking price, but we, we put the deal together. That's kind of the story one by one. We had another one. We had a small condo, beautiful, cute little condo off near Tannisborn in Beaverton. Hit the market at 250 I expected, again, a year ago, that would have had multiple offers right out of the chute. We sat on the market for a week or two, and then we got one offer. Gage Lane is right next to Nike. This is a townhouse. It was 309000 So... 309,000. We hit the market. Week later, got an offer. That one fell apart. Stayed on the market another couple weeks. Reduced the price a little bit. I think we were at 325 before. And then we got an offer. So part of this conversation, Tucker, is, you know, in the past, we, we, we said low price points go fast and the higher stuff lingers. I'm even having some lower price stuff that we got to kind of finesse a little bit. It's got to sit for a little bit. They're not getting necessarily multiple offers right out of the chute. But you know, one thing I would say, though, just before you finish your thought is a lot of that seems like it's attached housing. And so generally when the market starts to cool or step back, the attached housing gets punched in the face first a little bit. Yeah. And then yeah. the detached stuff is kind of later to that party. But just yeah, thought, but. yeah, yeah. And we, we did like there was that one detached in here in southwest Portland, Chase right. Lane, that even sat a little bit longer than I would have expected. Now, you get into some of the higher price point ones, like I've got a southwest Portland one that was on Raleigh Court. We had that on the market, gosh, 75 days, dropped the price several times, finally got an offer. We had one in Lake Oswego that surprised me, Indian Springs Circle. Yep. Hit the market at 525 
I fully expected. It is a small house, but it's a cute house. It's a cute house. It's light and bright. It's got some nice upgrades. Great lot. It's about 13, 1400 square feet in Lake Oswego. We hit the market at 525. I expected that one to do really well. We ended up staying on the market. I want to say 40 days. Did a price reduction. Finally got a pending when we were at 512,000. So I guess what I'm saying here is I'm seeing a little bit more of the lower price points taking a little bit longer. Definitely the higher price points are taking longer. Less multiple offers, but still here and there once in a while. But also, and I think this is the overlying positive news, is things do move. Things still are moving. I mean, I, I was giving you my list of 13 pending properties here. So they are in escrow. They are solid. There are buyers out there. But it takes more finesse on the listing side. It makes it takes more motivation from the seller. And the buyers have a little bit more, you know, cards in their favor now, here and now in this market. So I thought that was kind of an interesting approach to look checking out the market via what I've got going on. And I think it sums up kind of what we thought we were going to see, which is basically an inflection point, right? The beginning of 2017 was going to be a different market than the back end of 2017. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much what's displayed there, especially in your, I mean, you've got a big subset of uh, data there in the 13 pennings that you have, you know, in your pipeline right now. But I think that's pretty much what it is. And I, you know, just to quantify like percentage based off of high price points, I think we're about a 5%, you know, off of what those high comps would be. I think that's where ultimately stuff is settling at in terms of taking an accepted offer or what things will eventually sell for. But I think we're I think we've come off of that high by about 5%, which isn't anything dramatic, but definitely shows there was an inflection point and buyers are pushing back a little bit. Yeah, part of that too is when you normally comp a house, you're looking back six months at data. You gotta be careful in this market. If you're trying to hit the market at the right price that's gonna go quickly and, and do well for the seller, you know that's usually how top dollar occurs is early and fast, right? I mean, you don't linger for 30 days. Going off data from two, three months ago could skew you a little bit in that that you're seeing those early summer high price points that we're 5% off of. A good rule of thumb in a shifting market, kind of like a changing environment, is to pay attention to those comps, but also pay close attention to the active comps because those are the real-time competition now as things are changing. Um, yeah. Those are the, those are the pro properties you're competing with, and you might see that you know, they're a little bit lower. And I guess I guess what I'm saying there is, I mean, we're, my team is doing a lot of price reductions. That's not because we don't know how to price properties. It's not because we are, you know, our sellers are convincing us, hey, go on the market way high. We're just in a changing environment. We're looking at comps ourselves oftentimes and with our, with our sellers at the same time. And we're saying, hey, this sold, this down the street sold three months ago for this. And so the sellers, you know, and us are, are thinking, well, maybe that's around the right price. But time is showing it necessarily wasn't. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's a pretty good segue into what I kind of wanted to talk about. And it can be, I want this to be a discussion between the two of us because it's a topic that most people don't know that much about. Um, it's a, it's an overall topic that everybody's concerned about, but not many people have gotten into the weeds on it and understand the inner workings of it. And that topic is why I believe, and I, I don't think I'm wrong here, that we will never see any more affordable housing built in the city of Portland. 
it just isn't going to happen, at least from the private sector. The, the public sector may try, but it's going to take them 10 times more money and they're going to be 10 times uh, less efficient than the, the private sector could be given certain things are removed. And so I really want to dive into this because we had a, a situation where, um, you know, one of the deals that we're working on right now that we've got inked that, um, you know, a realtor brought us that we had to go through with them and the seller why their property is worthless. Um, ultimately at the end of the day and the challenges in building a house. And on, on the flip side, there's a lot of chatter out there. And a friend of the show, Randy from Renaissance, you know, I had a conversation with him online the other day. You know, there's a lot of chatter out there um, about how everybody, you know, is anti the builders because builders are evil and they're building these McMansions and they're only building high priced houses because they're greedy and this and that. And and nothing could be farther from the truth. They're, they're pointing the finger at the absolute wrong person. If myself and if Randy and other builders, if we could build entry level housing uh, that, you know, was worth the risk in terms of the profit that could be generated, we'd be doing it all day long. Nobody is, you know, that fixated on high end housing that that's what they want to build, or at least comparatively for this market. It's just a function of what can be built and actually pencil to make any money, which means you have a business, which means you can keep building housing units. And so I really want to break down why that's the case, because I don't think people conceptually understand this. And it's not rocket science. It's just math. But there's a few voids in a lot of people's, um, you know, information in terms of what they know that doesn't allow them to kind of put the pieces together. So. I kind of want to show you, Steve, and you can kind of comment on this, why, I mean, we'll, let's consider affordable housing, right, for a, a smaller new construction home, let's say 399000 right? That's probably, that's right at, in between the, the average price and the median price. Um, you know, that would be what most people could afford if they have a, a two-income household and they're trying to raise kids and they've got college debt and they've got car loans and they've got all those things, right? That would probably be the point. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great price point. Detached, you're, you're thinking? Yeah. Detached, oh, right. Yeah. Because, yeah, exactly. People want a garage. They want to be able to throw the Frisbee or football with the kid. They got a dog. You know, they want a normal, um, you know, living situation, which yeah. at a certain point in your life is a detached home, right? So. The, the problem is, is that you will never see detached homes built in the city of Portland for 399000 again. It's not going to happen unless they're absurdly tiny, tiny homes and you're paying an ungodly amount per square foot, um, which is going to be difficult to get appraisals for. It's going to be difficult on all kinds of levels, which is why it, it very likely will never happen. The minimum that you're going to see is was 499, but even that's gotten pushed now. And, uh, you know, the cheapest stuff that I think that uh, Renaissance and others are putting out there right now is in the fives. Um, and those are small lots, smaller houses. And I want to break down kind of why that's the case. So let's look at um, the average smaller, quote unquote, affordable home that's built. If you were going to build it in the city of Portland, it's about 2000 square feet, right? That seems like a reasonable square footage to have three bedrooms, two and a half baths, um, enough space for a family, a dog and, you know, whatever else. Right. Would you agree? Yeah, that's a good house for the average family with 2.4 kids. So. <laughs> If you're building a 2,000 square foot house as a builder, if you're building it on a flat lot, a reasonably affordable plan um, in terms of the house plan, you don't have tons of excavation, you're being reasonable in terms of the finishes, you know, if you are building that house and you're getting it done for about 130 bucks a square foot, your cost of hard costs, of actual construction costs, then you're doing pretty good. That's about what our market is seeing. So 130 bucks a square foot, you build a 2,000 square foot house, it costs you, the builder, in hard cost, $260,000. That's what it mm -hmm. costs to build, right? right? Without profit, we're just talking pure cost of construction on the hard, hard cost. cost. Okay. 260 grand. Now, 
here's the thing that most people don't get. Well, first of all, they don't understand how much it costs to build stuff, but there's the mystery. I just removed it for you right there on a generally cheaper type home. The big challenge here, and this is one of two, but the first big challenge, and keep in mind, we have an academy of people that we consult with all over the country on our education side of our business. And so I know what building permit costs are everywhere in the country. We are the highest here in Portland of anywhere. Uh, there's others that are equally high, but they're much higher price point markets. So the average building permit cost in the city of Portland for a newly created lot, let's say a, a lot that hadn't been built on before, which is essentially creating a new housing unit, not just replacing an old one, is approximately $46,000. The okay? permit to build a new house in Portland? Yes, $46,000. That's what they charge you. And a lot of that is basically them saying you can tap into city, city water, city sewer, right? Even though once they do that, they get a continuity bill forever from these people. But they charge you $46,000 to build the house and tap into those services, which is mm -hmm. insane based on the price point of our market. Now, here's the kicker, and here's the thing that absolutely you know, adds insult to injury. The city of Portland, within the last year or two here, has decided that they're going to put road frontage and sidewalk improvement fees on builders as well which means they're going to charge you $600 a linear foot for the road frontage that your lot has in most cases. So on an average size lot, that's another $35,000. Ouch. So, yeah, so that's 81 grand right there that goes to the city. Profit to the city. They don't do anything other than stamp your plans and say yes. $81,000, and that's on top of the $260,000 build price. So that didn't include land, right? Oh, we're getting there. That doesn't <laughs> include land. I'm, I'm trying to make this real crystal clear to everybody. Yeah. yeah. So the average, uh, let's say affordable sales price for a smaller new construction home, we agreed would be about 399,000. So if you add up the construction costs of 260, the building permit costs of 46,000, the road frontage sidewalk improvement fees of 35,000, then, of course, you have to factor in there's going to be approximately, let's say, 5% real estate commissions. If you're a builder, you're paying about 20 grand for that. Your holding costs on just the build time, we're not talking about partition time and all that, but just the build time is going to be approximately $10,000. So, all in, your costs as a builder to build that entry level house is $371,000. But that's not even before buying the lot. Now, and here's. Profit. And profit. and profit, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, so, and, and Tucker, I want to I want to pull the the curtain out behind that. What on a on a house like that, a builder's making what ten percent, fifteen percent usually. I would say in a They're hot market, happy. it gets compressed to maybe twelve percent. Yeah, I don't think yeah. they want to go much lower than that because if the market softens five percent, sure. a house for seven yeah. percent, which yeah. is basically. No, and, I mean, uh, and that makes sense if us if us agents come in and and we take five percent of it. You know, I mean, it makes sense for the builder to make more than us, a decent amount more than us. They're doing all the work there through that process and taking all the risk. So, right. Yeah. So you're all in cost there and keep in mind, this is not accounting for a few other costs, which is, um, 10 to $15,000 for partition expenses, plus another probably 10 grand in holding costs. If you buy the dirt first and go through the year long battle that it takes to partition something, you've also got, you know, cost for tree removal, if there's bigger trees on there that they make you pay an exorbitant amount of money for, there's all kinds of other little costs in there. But the bottom line is that, you know, if you're paying approximately $370,000, $380,000 in costs before you even factor in the cost of the land. What do you think that lot goes for? 
100 ish, 120. Probably 125. 125. Yeah, yeah. I would say. But, but you know what? That 500 without profit. Right. Now you're at about 500 without profit, which is why you're seeing minimum, you know, cost or minimum house new construction in the 550 range. Now, yeah. The, and those 550 new constructions, those aren't those are going to be substandard size lots too, which trims down the sidewalk uh, road frontage improvement fee slightly, which adds a little bit more profit back into the builder. But that's why they can't do it. Now, think about this, right? Only certain neighborhoods can absorb $81,000 in cost to the city of Portland. Once you go outside of that, you know, if you cross over in small, lower price point areas, you know, you can't make it work, which is why we have so much land. And of course, you got to factor in construction costs too and land costs. But that's why there's so much land within the UGB that will not be built. Because those areas, the price points do not justify what it costs to develop it. Hmm. And so that's why the UGB is a joke, because you have all this land, but unless price points come up significantly in those areas, it'll never get developed. And the problem is, is if they do come up significantly, guess what? Everybody that needs affordable housing, they're going to get pushed farther and farther out, and people are going to be screaming more and more and more that Portland's unaffordable and we need to do things about it and blah, 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 blah. Well, I tell you what you do about it. Number one is you remove the ridiculous costs that they're putting on builders. The first thing would be the sidewalk improvement fees, right? Why are you putting it on the builders to replace? Uh, well, here's the great thing, right? The city's getting sued by a group of builders that right now, too. They take that money that they charge you for the sidewalk and road frontage improvement fees, and they dump it into a general account, which means it will likely never go to put sidewalks in front of the house that you built. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So, yeah, it's crazy. So... That's the mystery behind why you cannot build, you know, affordable housing. Now, on top of that, it's also why you can't build smaller housing. So I saw, you know, an article that was on Channel 2 this morning. City Council is trying to push through something that says that if the lot's 5,000 square feet, you can't build a home that's bigger than 2,500 square feet. If the lot's 4,000 square feet, you can't build a home that's bigger than 2,000 square feet. Well, at a certain point, the builder has to arbitrage the cost of building and the cost uh, that a, a finished square foot sells for on the retail market in order to make a profit. That's why they have to build bigger homes on smaller lots. Now, if you remove a lot of the fees and things that we pay to the city, they don't have to build as big of homes in order to actually generate a profit. So everybody's pointing the finger at the builder like we have to stop the, the evil capitalist builder. And it's like, think about this, Steve. The cost to build that house that we talked about, $260,000 in hard costs. The, the money to the city is $81,000. The city gets 31% of your hard construction costs and they do nothing. That's crazy, man. So to put it into perspective, what would those $81,000 in fees to the city look like in another town around in the area, like say a Milwaukee or a Tawala? They're, they're very similar in those areas too, which is why you have a hard time. The only time you're going to get that 399 to 449 housing is when a bigger builder comes in, they buy big tracts of land and they get their dollar cost average per lot down to virtually nothing. That's the only time. When you can get the land down to almost free, then the bigger builders can build off thin enough margin to offer that type of product. But that doesn't happen in infill, right? Which is where people no. want to be because yeah. nobody's going to give that. Why would people give their land away for nothing? Yeah. They don't. Yeah. So you're saying most of the, most of the sub suburbs also have similar costs. Yeah. So for example, $35,000 front inch. Cost. Uh, no, they remove that. So that helps. 
Um, yeah. that's a, that's a city of Portland special right there. You can thank, <laughs> you can thank your mayor for that one. So when you go outside of that, it's, it's different. Now there's different things that apply in, in, you know, the different municipalities, but for example, uh, Lake Oswego building permit costs in Lake Oswego are very similar to Portland. They're about 46,000, but they're going to start stepping up. And within a year or so here, they will be at 60,000. Mm. So you can't get a building permit. So like I go for under $60,000 for a newly created lot. Westland's already at 60,000, which is absurd. But to put this in perspective, if you go, I, I know somebody that's in um, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Similar market in terms of price point and infill and all that. Their building permits to the city, three grand. $3,000. Wow. So, and there's a bunch that fall in between, but Seattle has building permits that are very similar to ours in price, but their market is significantly more expensive all around. So, you know, the point of this whole rant is that people want to point the finger at the builder and city council has a lot of crazy ideas to punish the people that are actually in the trenches creating housing. But nobody wants to point the finger at the city at these absolutely absurd costs and especially, especially the sidewalk improvement fees. I mean, it's insane, especially when they're not going to take that money most of the time and apply it toward putting in sidewalks and other things that people can use in front of their house. And I would be, I would bet you 99.9% of the time, people would rather have affordable housing than a brand new sidewalk, right? I mean, they'll, they'll get by without the sidewalk, but affordable housing is something that is much more important to people. One thing that's always been crazy to me about the city of Portland, have you ever seen all those streets? They're, they're out and around there that are just completely demolished. Like, they're gravel with huge potholes. There's some in southwest Portland. I mean, it's just, and there's no rhyme or reason to it, why that street suddenly has been so, so here's, neglected. here's what the city's doing, right? So we have a particular property that we were looking at in southeast Portland. Has a street like that on the right side of it. The city wanted to charge us $35,000 for road frontage improvements for the front of the lot. They wanted to charge us another 60000 for the right side. So combined, they wanted $95,000 in frontage improvement, which basically meant they want us to pay for the paving of those streets just by building one new single family home. So think about what that does. They would have paved it either. Do you think? No, they're not going to pave it. They're going to take our money. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, because those streets are all over the place. And I don't see that changing. And it's it's always boggled my mind. I'm like, what what did these poor saps on this street do? With the, I mean, they're paying their Multnomah County taxes. They're doing everything else, everybody else's. But for whatever reason, the city's just decided, hey, you're you're going to live on a potholed gravel road and your neighbor, you know, three blocks away isn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the city of Portland has decided to put it on the backs of the builders to basically pave and improve all their streets for them. But at the end of the day, the person that loses the most is, number one, the property owner, because their property is now worth less oh, if they ever go to sell it. And number two is... Guy. Yeah. And number two is the consumer who ultimately has to pay a lot more for housing or move farther out and have, you know, lesser quality of life, depending on what they're looking for. So people need to start looking within and looking at the leadership of the city of Portland because they're out of their damn minds and they're pointing (laughs) their finger at builders. And I'm just sick of it. I know Randy's sick of it. He deals with it. You know, he's a lightning rod for that, as well as all the other infill builders around town. But I know so many that are like, screw the city of Portland. I'm done. I'm done with their crap. And I'm getting out out of the city of Portland. Are you still dabbling a little bit? Me? Yeah. We're on, we're on our way out. We've been there for a long time, but we're on our way out. It's uh it's just you can do it, but there comes a point where it's just it's painful, man. It's painful. And especially to hand over that kind of money to the city and be the guy that's doing it, it's painful. So, you know, hopefully something will change and and they'll kind of get a clue, but 
I just really want to pull back the curtain on why we cannot build affordable, you know, detached single family housing units in the city of Portland right now. It's oh, you did a great job of it. And that's usually how you break it down for a seller when we when we meet with them. Then just lay it out for them, you know, very transparently. This is kind of what you're looking at. And this is what it's going to take. And that's really the way to do it. So thank you for doing that for our listeners. I think that, that was awesome. Yeah, hopefully that clears it up for you guys. I, I'm obviously pretty passionate about it because it's what we deal with every day. But I just think it's an important topic that there's a lot of negative press out there about builders, but it's because people don't understand the true root of the problem. And so yeah. hopefully that, that helps better explain it. So. The fact that they're a third of the cost for the build out is just ridiculous. And it doesn't matter what neighborhood in Portland could yeah. be out on 122nd. It could be right in East Moreland. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Crazy, so, crazy. Yep. So, well, any uh, parting words of advice? We're buttoning up here on our time before we leave. No, I, think leave a, I think it's been a great show. I'm glad we uh, got to discuss some of these hot topics. I think I think it's an interesting market for sure. I'm relatively optimistic that we're all still going to be doing deals and making money, but it's definitely changing and has changed and, and seems to continue to. So we'll be here to share what we're seeing and feeling and hearing and I will say this. I'll leave our listeners with this, and I think you'll agree. I think the market adjusted, but I think it found its new floor for the time being. Yeah, good, good. We like floors. Yeah, we like floors, we don't, definitely. We don't like those cliffs of the uh, 07, 08 time period. No, which it's <laughs> Those just bottomless pits. Yeah. Not possible with our inventory levels and constraint on housing, but I think the, the, the market's found its floor as we head into the end of the year here. So. Cool. Let's wrap it up, and we'll see all of our listeners again soon. Probably, I don't know, next week-ish, something like that. We'll get another uh, good show lined up for them. So, all right, guys, this wraps up episode 75. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.